Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to the BBM Global Network with 25 years in broadcast audio and video production. Our passionate team creates content and marketing for the world of Internet talk radio. If you've got a passion, come join us at BBMGlobalNetwork.com. The BBM Global Network. Your voice is now heard. Welcome to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Traditional psychiatry, integrative medicine, or just someone to talk to, Dr. Carly is here to provide moms with personal solutions so that they may experience whole body, mind, and well-being at this most extraordinary time of motherhood. Now, please welcome the host of MD for Moms, Dr. Carly Snyder. Welcome. You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. I'm a reproductive and perinatal psychiatrist, meaning I work with women struggling with emotional symptoms throughout their reproductive years. I also have three children who are always my first and foremost priority. This show, MD for Moms, is dedicated to helping women enjoy life more, to maximizing health and wellness, and to improving women's relationships with themselves and with others. I'm going to remind you throughout the show that you can call in and ask questions directly on air. The number is 855-856-1380. Take advantage and give us a call. So, you know, we as women, we've been told from a young age that we could have it all, right? We can have kids, we can have successful careers, be happily married. We could really love our lives and do everything. I think in part this is because our moms, many of our moms, broke through glass ceilings and they wanted nothing more than for all of us to live in a world where the ceiling no longer existed. I think it's fair to say that recent history has proven that that world does not exist. But what is also said is that we were rarely, if ever, told it was okay and, in fact, can be important not to strive for it all, but instead to strive to connect with what we do do, to connect with our kids, first and foremost, to connect with ourselves. It is, in fact, impossible to be everywhere all the time and to be everything to everybody, Something always has to give. And unfortunately, women are now often told that their child should wait in favor of their career because 
he or she is just a baby and won't remember anyway. Or it's a quality of the time, not the quantity. Sound familiar? These justifications, I think, they really rarely sit well. And our guest today is going to explain why. Erica Komisar, LCSW, is a clinical social worker, psychoanalyst, and parent guidance expert who has been in private practice in New York City for the last 25 years. She's a graduate of Georgetown and Columbia Universities and the New York Freudian Society. Ms. Komisar is a psychological consultant bringing parenting and work-life workshops to clinics, schools, and corporations and childcare settings, including the Garden House, School, Goldman Sachs, Sherman, Sherman and Sterling's, and SWFS Early Childhood Center. She lives in New York City with her husband, Dr. Jordan Casalo, who is an amazing, amazing social entrepreneur and optometrist, and their three teenage children. She is also the author of the book, Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters, which is hitting the shelves April of this year. And I'm going to tell you guys, you should all pre-order your copies if you can. It's awesome. Awesome, awesome. So welcome, Erica. I'm so glad that you are joining us today. Thank you, Carly. Thank you for having me on. So can we start by you telling the listeners about your background? How did you become interested in motherhood and the mother-child relationship? So as a social worker first and then a psychoanalyst, um, I was very focused on the real. So psychoanalysts focus on the internal, meaning, um, you know, our internal world and our feelings. Social workers focus on the real. So I was both interested in the real aspects of mothering, the practical aspects of mothering, and the internal ones, um, how we feel about it and our backgrounds with mothering, uh, meaning how we were mothered. Um, And so that led me to uh, start teaching parenting classes in mental health clinics almost 30 years ago um, in a practical way, really teaching mothers the importance of that early connection with their babies. Um, so that's really how it how it began is, you know, I really have a very uh, genuine belief that there are real things, real practical things we can do as mothers to be more present for our children, um, as well as sort of deeper, deeper issues that we need to address. And when you got started working with women, you mm-hmm. were there any, you know, you went from the clinic setting. Now you have a private practice. And you've had a private practice for a long time. Um, yeah. Has your private practice and your work evolved? Have you, you know, in terms well, of your it, understanding of it? It, it has. So basically from that early work, um, I became a parent guidance expert and um, treating women who have you know, signs of postpartum depression, and basically just plain helping mothers to connect with their babies. So I do this in my private practice. I do it through workshops that I give, um, and I do it as a consultant to some nursery schools. And, you know, it has evolved in that, you know, over the years I started looking at some of the research, the neuroscience research. You know, the 90s was the 
the decade of the brain. And, you know, I really started getting very interested in the field of what is called neuropsychobiology, the big word just to describe the mm-hmm. fact that the brain interacts with the environment and the brain interacts with one's emotions. And so, you know, we know that the the brain is plastic, meaning it's growing and shrinking our whole lives, but there are what we call critical windows of development um, in, in all of our lives. Um, and one of those critical windows of development for children is the first three years. And so I became really interested in what happens in the first three years and what do babies need to, to develop and uh, become emotionally well, mentally healthy uh, human beings. And how do women typically, what's your typical patient, client, who comes to you? You know, it it varies. I see, um, I'll see a mother who's struggling with just developmental issues, meaning she just wants to know about normal development with her child and how to be the best mother she can be. I also see more and more, which is one of the reasons I wrote this book, I see more and more parents coming to me because their children are being identified as having problems at an earlier and earlier age by schools, daycare centers. um, And, you know, many of these children are being medicated at an earlier and earlier age for things like um, attentional issues or behavioral issues or social disorders. And, you know, it's a disturbing trend. There is what I call a crisis in mental illness in children and um, adolescents and young adults. Um, The statistics are are impressive, to say the least, that there is such an increase in mental illness in our children that really I felt discouraged as a clinician and wanted to do something preventative. I wanted to write a book that would help mothers in a preventative way to prevent some of these disorders that I was seeing increasingly in my practice. And do you find... so? You know, we have worked together, and I've been so, so happy to, with, um, you know, and women love coming to see you. They also find it hard. Yeah. Right? Um, it and is hard. I think that's important, right? That I think our listeners should know that, you know, it's the work you do isn't easy. It's not, um, you know, you don't go sit and play with, they don't your patients don't go and get to sit and play with babies and just connect in that way. They really do a lot of internal searching and a lot of exploration, right? Yeah. So, you know, generally how we feel, we we say mothering is passed down generationally. How we feel about our babies as mothers um, and as fathers, too, it's best done generationally. How we feel about our children is really dependent on how we felt being children. Um, If we had mothers who were very interested in us, who were very attentive to us, who were very emotionally and physically present for us, then we tend to get great joy and pleasure in nurturing our own children. But if we had the experience of having mothers who were, you know, disinterested or busy or bored or unavailable to us, um, you know, having a child can open up, I always say to mothers that having a child can open up a window or a door to the past. It isn't always a happy one. Pandora's box. Pandora's box. Does that mean, though, that, I mean, so if a woman, though, is aware prior to having a child, meaning if she has done the work and can say, you know, my mother actually was 
was distant. Um, she had a lot of her own issues, what have you. Is that going to improve the likelihood that she has an easier time connecting, that she has an easier time for herself rather than Absolutely. repeating patterns? Yeah. So I believe in prevention. So when women come to me and say I'm pregnant and I'm worried about being postpartumly depressed or I'm worried about being able to care for this baby or I feel ambivalent about this pregnancy, I mean, that's really a very good time to come in because you know, you're, you're already starting to deal with a lot of the conflicts that you might have. And, you know, we all have conflicts um, at all times, and it's really the intensity and degree of those conflicts. But if you can address those conflicts early, the earlier you can address them, the better off you'll be and the better off the relationship with your baby will be. So, yes, um, coming in earlier rather than later to address these issues or even before you have a baby to think about these issues and deal with them um, is always a very helpful thing. I also I also find with my patients it's it's very helpful in terms of being able to mitigate the resultant relationship between grandma and mom and baby because that that can be a really charged relationship um depending on the dynamics and also how mom then handles grandma right mm-hmm. it's it can be yeah. very very anxiety inducing Frankly, I think it's anxiety-inducing for any of us, especially with the first child. But depending upon grandma and mom, right? It can, it can. If mom is ready and and aware of how her mother may react, it can make it a much smoother process. Yeah, um, just you know, I think you know, like with mothering, that window or door gets opened. I think when you have a baby. That relationship with your own mother is, you know, whatever you experienced gets re- reopened. And, and I think, you know, for, for better or worse, um, I also think women often have the experience of seeing their mothers um, over time soften and evolve. If a mother wasn't so available when she was young, but she felt badly about it, and then she's more available for your own children. If you haven't worked through those conflicts about your experience of your own mother, then it's harder to let your mother in. Um, and in the end, we do need our mothers. We need family. I mean, that's the other thing about mothering. And you probably experienced this too, Carly, with seeing your patients, is that mm-hmm. women are more isolated than ever before uh, in raising children. And, you know, one of the reasons is we, we don't have family around like we used to. And even if we do have family, we don't feel as connected to them um, as we used to. And so, you know, women are, whether they're in the city or in the country, or um, are more isolated. And we do need our families and extended family. Um, you know, I always say when women hire nannies or babysitters, they're hiring extended family. Um, but yes, we do need our mothers. But if we haven't resolved the conflicts we have about our mothers, then if our mothers do want to be involved, we will often feel conflicted about letting them in. And I have to imagine... And we're going to talk about nannies later, actually. But I also have to imagine part of the problem comes back to what I was talking about earlier, meaning we have a hard time generally, not everyone, but a lot of us have a hard time asking for help because we've been bred to say we can do it all. If we can do it all, then why do we need help, right? Why do we have to ask? And in theory, there's this concept we shouldn't have to, but we all really need help. We all should have no difficulty. And of course, should is a silly concept. We have to take a brief break. 
You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and we are being present. We are there with Erica Komisar. And when we return, Erica is going to explain to us why our presence as mothers is really so important when our kids are so young. Don't go away. Animal lover, author, artist, and public speaker, Patricia Daly Life is a Renaissance woman in her own right. A lover of animals from a young age, Patricia lives on a farm in Virginia and has rescued neglected thoroughbred horses, keeping them or finding them safe havens. She is also a published author, and her books document real-life experiences that she shares in her passionate stories, taking the reader around the world in a colorful kaleidoscope of life. An accomplished artist, Patricia Daly Life's oil paintings feature animals, portraits, stills, nature, and abstract, and she allows the brush to paint the image in an organic, natural way. A public speaker, Patricia is motivated to continually wonder about life and advocates for all of us to do the same and document our own unique history. To learn more about Patricia Daly Life, visit www.literarylady.com and www.patricialife.com or email her at pdlife at gmail.com. Hello, I'm Steve Fagan, and I'm president and CEO of Fagan Associates, but I'm also a life coach. I'm here to help you reach your dreams, goals, and objectives. As a life coach, it's my job to be your support, to be your teammate, to help you understand what is your dream, what is your life passion, and then together we work as that team to help you reach your specific goals. Life is worth living the best you can be. Working with a life coach, you're fulfilling those dreams and goals is your passion, and it's your way of living. Let me help you do that today. Let me help you really reach the best that you can be as a person and live the life you should be living. I'm Steve Fagan. I'm a life coach, and I'm here for you. Contact Steve Fagan at FaganAndAssociatesInc.com or call 1-800-239-2701. And I'll be glad to help you move forward to live the life of success. Reach your dreams, your goals, your objectives. We can do it together. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and today my guest is Erica Komisar, psychoanalyst and writer of the soon-to-be-released book, Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. So don't forget you can call and ask anything directly to Erica or myself because our phone lines are open, 855-856-1380. So before the break, I promised that we would talk about why being present is really so important because, as I said in the beginning, there are some conflicting messages given to moms, right? That whole notion that a baby won't know either way, that toddlers don't remember, you know, quality over quantity, et cetera, right? So really what I'm asking in a nutshell is what is your book about, but why why do we matter so much, Erica? Well, I'll answer the first one first. Um, so, you know, the the book is really about the importance of the first three years in terms of your emotional and physical presence to your children's mental health and well-being. Um, you know, we always knew as psychoanalysts that mothers were important, but now there's a great deal of scientific evidence that points to the fact that mothers are not just 
emotionally important to children, but actually biologically important to the development of children. So all of the neuroscience and attachment research really backs up the fact that mothers are, in fact, biologically important um, to the development of a child's right brain or social-emotional part of their brain. And is that from, you know, you know, as the only country that has very little uh, time off after delivery? I mean, I think Sweden, I was reading, gets 9 to 12 months of maternity leave, yeah. right? So we get, what, six weeks if we're lucky, maybe three months. How much is this affecting our infants, you know, is this something where it really matters in toddlerhood? Are we, I mean, are we talking from the get-go? So just, just a little known fact, the only time I ever wanted to live in the Eastern European countries is when I found out that Slovenia gives three years of fully paid maternity wow. leave. Um, yeah, and most of the Eastern European countries do. So, you know, we always um, idealize the Northern European countries, which definitely are better than us, um, for sure. But um, there are some countries which really recognize the first thousand days. You know, we understand that the first thousand days is critical nutritionally, you know, but we, we really have never understood clearly how important the first thousand days is to the mental health, mental health of children. Um, so yeah, those, those first three years, um, of being there as much as possible, uh, you know, no mother is there every single moment with a baby and never was, you know, we always had support systems of usually other women who helped us. Um, but you know, we've gone to the other extreme, which is, you know, we're, we're often not there enough. Um, and the idea is to be there as much as possible in those first three years. And yes, we do need, uh, one of the main reasons I wrote this book was to provide prevention for mothers so we didn't have to deal with this mental health crisis in children uh, to the degree that we're dealing with it. But also I wrote it because it's a book that advocates, a social issues book, which really advocates for a real maternity leave not three months, because at three months, a baby is just waking up. Um, they're mm -hmm. literally just waking up after birth and becoming alert to the connection with their mothers and really desperately needing their mothers. And so, you know, right now, I think in this country, there's a proposal for six weeks. Um, at six weeks, the baby is not even yet what I call emotionally fully awake. Well, I think it's somewhat horrifying if I think back that my um, second child, I was a resident, and the hospital gave technically three days of maternity leave paid, and then you could take, I believe you could use your, your uh, vacation days, so that was another four weeks, um, yeah. and then you could use disability for two more, right, so it ended up being six weeks. And I took an additional six weeks unpaid because I just was unwilling to take so little time. And thus I, you know, ended up having to work into the July after I graduated to make up for the time because I was unwilling to go back when my infant was an infant. And she still was an infant when I went back. But I, I find with a lot of my patients and frankly with myself as well, with my second especially, that a lot of maternity leave ends up being an anxiety riddle time of how am I going to handle leaving this little person? 
And it's such a, because it's such a short time. And we're not even talking about the poor moms with a baby in the NICU, which is a whole other issue. You know, as you know, and our listeners, a lot of our listeners know, my third was in the NICU and thankfully not for so long, but she needed me for an extended period of time. And if I had, if I worked in a office job, it would have been very, very tough on multiple levels, but anxiety wise as a mother, you know, it would have been catastrophic for me. And I think I'm not alone in that. So I cannot begin to say how much I agree with you in saying that our maternity leave system is broken. And what's shocking is I think most women would agree with you, right? Yeah, I, I think most women would would agree with that. Um, you know, I, and I was at a conference two years ago, and I had a, uh, a pediatrician come up to me, a woman, and she said the very same thing you said, which is uh, for doctors, it's maybe the worst because here we are trained to be caregivers and to teach caregiving to mothers about children and they're not letting us care for our own children so as a society we really have to look at our have to look at ourselves and understand why we devalue mothering um, to the point that we don't actually even allow mothers to be with their with their children in these critical years to the best of their ability. Um, you know, I don't imagine, given our our focus in this country on um, professional success, material success, the power of the economy uh, over relationships, that we will have what Slo- Slovenia has. I mean, that would mm-hmm. be pie in the sky. But what I would hope for is that. Um, this country would recognize at least the first year as being critical for mothers to be with their children and then to provide mothers with flexibility and some control over the next two years. Um, And, you know, studies have shown now that when you provide mothers with uh, real maternity leave um, and flexibility and control, you actually retain the talent. Otherwise, there's to businesses, there's an incredible cost to have to replace female talent um, who will in fact leave if they're not provided uh, with either maternity leave and or control and flexibility. So basically we have to look to the north. We have to look at our Canadian, uh, you know, uh, neighbors who do have a year off and at least strive for that. I mean, at least if nothing else, our country is moving towards more acceptance of nursing. So if we could just get closer to an acceptance also of maternity leave, which you would think wouldn't be such a leap, um, we would all feel better, right? You know, it's, it's funny, though, that we look back to the 50s and see women then as, you know, after the 50s, I think our mother's generation really strove to be able to be in the workplace. And yet, at the same time, correct me if I'm wrong, the value of motherhood has since like gone down. It's yeah, par- it's an interesting thing. You'd say the, the pendulum has shifted too far. Um, you know, I think women in the 50s had children for a variety of reasons, and I think some of those reasons were um, there was social pressure to have children, that you weren't valuable if you didn't become a mother. And now we know better. We know that mothering is incredibly valuable, but so is having a career. And, you know, 
having children is not a mandate. You can have a very happy and successful life without having a child. And so, you know, you can choose not to have a child. And I think, you know, that should be a perfectly reasonable option and women shouldn't be judged for that. Um, But you'd say the pendulum really swung from women feeling obligated to stay home and having no choices to women feeling obligated and pushed away from their children out into the workforce and made to feel guilty when they um, want to stay home with their children or feel conflicted or guilty, right? So the idea that, um, you know, I, I hope the book that I've written gives women permission Um, which a lot of women come to me for in my practice. I hope the book gives women permission to be with their children when they feel conflicted about leaving their children. And how how do you reconcile for the women who say, I can't afford it? I can't, I can't be out of the workforce, for example. You know, it really isn't a book about working versus not working. And and I think that's a really important, you know, part of maybe the misunderstanding of the book is that it doesn't necessarily advocate for women to stay home full time if they have a tremendous desire and get tremendous satisfaction from work they do outside the home and or they need the resources, which is the case for most women. Um, The book advocates for women to advocate for themselves. It advocates for women to um, really demand at this point in time um, that they have more maternity leave, that they have more time with their children. I say in the book, more is more. The more emotionally and physically available you can be for your children, the better off your children will be, and the greater the chance those children will be emotionally well and mentally healthy. Um, And that's just from my clinical practice. I see that. And I think if you work, there are many things you can do as a working mother um, after you've taken that good long maternity leave. There are many things you can do to, you know, repair the time that you've been away with your children. Uh, There's many things you can do to be emotionally present when you're with your children. You know, we live in an age of technology and distraction, so sometimes when we're actually with our children, we're not with our children. Um, And we're not with our children at those most critical transitional times of the day when they need us the most emotionally. So there are things that mothers who work can do um, that, that really make them closer to their children. I, I think that it's such a, I have to say, that was a phenomenal way to say it. Everything, that was amazing. Perfect. But we have to take a brief break. You're listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. And Erica Komasar just gave us an excellent reason why it is not stay-at-home versus work. We could throw that out the window. Just let it go already. I love it. But don't go away because after the break, we're going to shift gears a little bit. And Erica's going to tell us some tips for hiring a nanny because, or just childcare, really, because everyone needs some help sometimes. So don't go away. 
Attorney Renee Marie Smith is changing the way we sell real estate. She wrote a series of books called My Short Sale Guru Guides for all real estate practitioners. Whether you're a homeowner wanting to understand the process, an agent who has been handling short sales for years, or an industry analyst wanting to know how short sales impact your business, Renee uses her vast real estate experience to take a comprehensive look at the recent market phenomena while relaying it in an easy-to-understand format. Through her company, Smith Title Services, Renee has counseled thousands of short sale participants and processed in excess of a thousand short sales. Her knowledge is transformational for real estate professionals and laymen alike, and her live presentations provide people the opportunity to ask specific questions about their issues. Buy her books and schedule her to speak at your next event. Visit www.smithtitleservices.com or call 305-705-3428 or email her at renee at smithtitleservices.com. Isn't it time to sell your property today? Learn the My Short Sale Guru way. America is out of control. Today's capitalism and the approach to money is in fact the symptom of a more widespread pattern of excessive behavior. In his book, The Culture of Excess, How America Lost Self-Control and Why We Need to Redefine Success, clinical psychologist Dr. Jay Slosar portrays an America where excess fuels the drive to succeed. Dr. Slosar examines the cultural factors that lead to excess ranging from obesity to fraud to pervasive budget deficits. His book examines the powerful economic and social factors and their impact on our psychological well-being. Dr. Slosar explores the psychological impact of increasing narcissism, perfectionism, self-destruction, and our identity confusion. He offers recommendations for helping Generation Me become Generation We. Those who resist Slosar's message will want to avoid his discussion of regulation and his recent message that at this point, democracy must be more important than today's capitalism. Get his book now online or by visiting thecultureofexcess.com. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and today my guest is Erica Komisar, and we have a caller on the line. Hope, are you there? I am here. Thank you so much for calling. What what question do you have? Um, my question has to do with uh, what does the research say about the difference between the way say a mother loves a child and can love a child in those first three years versus the way the father loves and gives to the child in those first three years? Because I know there are very significant differences and that the mother and the father are not interchangeable in terms of being in the child's life. I think that's a great question. Can I answer that question, Carly? Yeah, please do. Um, Yeah. So, you know, mothers and fathers are both critical to uh, a baby's development and a toddler's development, but they are different. Um, You know, we're equal in in every way, but we're also different, and they provide different things traditionally. And for thousands of years, uh, mothers were... Um, the uh, were the objects of attachment and fathers really helped children to separate. And I think in looking at the biology of it, women produce something called oxytocin, which is a hormone. We call it the bonding hormone. And we produce it when we give birth, we produce it when we breastfeed, and we produce it when we sensitively nurture our children. And it actually um, produces sensitive empathic nurturing, which is what children need in the first three years. Um, And fathers produce something called vasopressin um, more than mothers, which is the protective and aggressive hormone, which is really responsible for 
resilience building in children and what we call playful stimulation. So fathers are great at tickling and playing with children mm-hmm. and throwing them up in the air and really stimulating them in a different way, which helps them and encourages them to separate from their mothers and explore the world and experiment in the world. They're both really important, but they're very different roles. Um, and it is a reality now that fathers are staying home as primary caregivers more and more. Um, and so, you know, the idea is not to discourage fathers from being with their children. We love that fathers are are with their children more and more, but we want to encourage fathers to be more of these sensitive nurturers rather than, um, you know, pushing children to be too independent too early. Um, and the best example I always try to give um, mothers and fathers is if, you, if you're in the playground and you watch um, the majority of times, when a child falls down, a mother will lean into the pain and say, oh, honey, how are you and how are you doing? And a father will say, oh, honey, you're okay. Look, let's brush yourself off and, you know, you can, you can go back to playing. And, you know, if fathers are going to stay home with mothers, then we really want to encourage them and teach them. And I believe we can teach people. And that's the real part. We can teach people skills. We want to teach fathers that sensitive nurturing in the first three years is actually a very important part of brain development. That's so interesting. Thank you, Erica. Thank You're welcome. You so Thank you, much Hope, for asking. calling, Hope. Okay. All right. You, Wonderful show. Thank you so Bye. much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And if anyone else has a question, feel free to call 855-856-1380. So before the break, I promised, Erica, you would explain for our listeners something about child care. One question I get asked often, and um, I'm sure you do too, is if someone needs help, is it better for kids to be in daycare or to have a nanny? So, it, you know, daycare, um, which is the preferred method of care of children in this country, is not would not be my first choice for a variety of reasons. Um, it's group care, and it's always better for children in the very beginning to have one-on-one interaction, which promotes really attachment um, with a primary caregiver. So in the absence of a mother or a father, um, then a, a babysitter or a nanny becomes that primary caregiver and is providing that baby with what the mother or father would do if they were there, which is um, what we called emotional regulation, which is soothing the baby from moment to moment. After the three-year period, the baby internalizes that ability to regulate their own emotions. In a group care situation, and I, I you know, listen, you just think of it as a practical thing. Most most daycare centers um, are no less than a five-to-one ratio, if not an eight-to-one ratio. I don't know if you've ever been with five children of the same <sighs> age, particularly infants, at the same time. But there's really no way for that caregiver, no matter how good they are and how well-trained they are, to be able to tend to the emotional needs of five children simultaneously. No. So it's always better to have, right, it's always better to have um, one caregiver. And, you know, if you do put your child in daycare, then I would say you look for a ratio of no more than three to one, which doesn't really exist in most daycare situations. And, you know, when, when women are financially challenged, I encourage them to do what um, a lot of Californians have started to do, which is share caregiving um, between families. So two families can share a caregiver and split the cost of that caregiver. 
And in that case, the caregiver is still often not watching more than three children. That makes a lot of sense. I can't imagine personally watching more than, well, two infants and three. Well, imagine Um, watching eight. (laughs) Honestly, it makes my head spin. Um, Right. Now, let's say a woman is, or a couple has decided on a nanny, the nanny course. Are there any specific important questions that you recommend that they ask during an interview? Well, you want to ask a nanny why they're a nanny. You know, why are they doing this work? Because, you know, there's lots of different kinds of work that you can do. Um, And why do you do this work? What is it about being a nanny that has drawn you to this kind of work? And, um, you know, the answer you want, obviously, in a very genuine way, is that they love children, but they loved raising their own children. Um, You know, I, I, I encourage mothers to find experienced maternal feeling nannies rather than very young nannies. Um, Sometimes young nannies can be wonderful, but when you find a very experienced maternal feeling nanny who's had her own children, um, you often, you're you're not only getting the benefit of their experience, and if we're hiring them to be extended family, they're meant to not just mother our children, but to mother the whole family. Um, And, you know, ideally you want someone who's loved having children and now wants to continue that love by loving your children. I always remember asking also, you know, whether they can recall the more the most difficult experience they had with a child. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, taking care of children is not easy. So anyone mm-hmm. who gave me an answer of, oh, it's always wonderful, you know, you know, that's not true. Um, but you get a lot of insight into how they handle conflict, how they handle anxiety, et cetera, in that scenario. Um do you believe in week-long trials when I do. you hire someone? I think, that, I, th- I think interviews only go so far in terms of really, you know, understanding what a nanny can do with your child or can't do. I think you really have to be present and you have to observe that babysitter and nanny with your child. So, you know, the best is to really observe how your nanny handles that child's anger or handles a difficult situation. It is good to ask them, you know, how do you handle... Uh, when a child is angry or when a child is um, behaving in a certain way. And they may tell you in a prepared way, um, you know, an answer they've prepared. But I think the best is to really observe them for as long as possible. Um, You know, I mean, you can do a week trial and just be home with them. And I I say be like wallpaper uh, in, in, in your home while you're sort of able to observe how your nanny interacts with your baby. Um, And then even if you do hire them, be home as long as possible in the transition period between hiring somebody and going back to work because you really want to see over time how that nanny is with your child. And Correct me if I'm wrong here. When you're not, if you go to work and you come home, that does, you can have overlap. It doesn't have to be mom's home so nanny leaves. But in fact, it's good for a child to see you and the nanny engaging together. That you are a team. Yeah. In fact, it's important to care about your nanny and for your nanny to care about you. 
So I think it is important to see that overlap. And I also think it's important, and, you know, I've trained a lot of nannies. We, I was involved in a nanny agency called Nannies Who Know in New York that we basically train nannies to be emotionally sensitive and to understand children's development. And we encourage this. We never took nannies on who didn't understand the concept that the most important relationship in that child's life is their mother. And so that means you have to value that relationship above everything else. When that mother is home, that mother, the relationship with the mother is primary. And you want to encourage that relationship rather than um, put yourself out front. And when that mother is not there, then you're the front the front guy, the front gal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really want that nanny to understand that when you go away as a nanny, as all nannies inevitably will, because they are like family, but they're not family, that child is left with that mother. And so as much as possible, nannies need to encourage mothers to be as emotionally present with their children as possible. I agree. Any red flags to look for? Anything that may be subtle, but it's like, eh, eh, no go? Yeah. So you want to avoid very strict or rigid nannies um, who focus on order and cleanliness rather than emotional sensitivity, affection, and nurturing. Um, You know, you want to look for a very nurturing, affectionate nanny. I know it's a temptation to pick a nanny who loves cleaning or likes order or likes discipline, but actually in the first three years, those aren't the critical things. What's critical is that your nanny is able to comfort your baby from moment to moment like you would if you were there, that they're able to help the baby to regulate their emotions. And that means having a very loving, nurturing, tender, sensitive, empathic nanny is the most critical thing in the first three years. And what is your feeling on nanny cams? My feeling on nanny cams is if they help you with your worries and your anxiety, then by all means, there's there's certainly nothing wrong with them. Um, Sometimes they increase women's anxiety, uh, meaning you can become obsessive about looking at the nanny cam and, um, you know, you can stay in a place where you don't trust the nanny. Um, I, I think I really don't have a feeling either way. I think as long as it's not increasing your anxiety, um, then I think it might not be a good thing. Yeah, and I've, I've always also come under the, you know, to each his or her own. But also, if you don't trust your nanny, then you need a new nanny. If you need yeah, to be watching her, there, there's a problem. Um, we have to take a brief break. You are listening to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and we are talking about being present for your young children with author and psychoanalyst Erica Komersar. And when we return, Erica is going to give us some concrete tips on how to have the best relationship possible with your tot. Stay with us. Do you battle with weight loss? There is a solution. Founder of Weight No More Consulting, Deborah Simons, can help you lose weight safely and effectively through weight loss surgery. I know. I had the surgery two years ago, and I am 135 pounds lighter and medication-free. This full-service weight loss center caters to your every need as you navigate to a healthy weight following surgery. Servicing all of Canada, Weight No More Consulting takes pride in its compassionate care and guides you through each step before and after surgery. 
Starting with informational meetings, Wait No More Consulting educates each potential client before they decide to have surgery on the health risks of obesity and the various weight loss surgeries available. After surgery, Wait No More Consulting provides a solid support system with ongoing meetings to ensure continued success. Deborah Simons and Wait No More Consulting are committed to promoting your health and wellness through maintaining a healthy weight for life. Certified professional coach Pamela Reeves can help you with your relationships. Motivational and image coaching are just some of the ways she can help you enhance all aspects of your life. Her book, Is It Love or Merely a Sick Attachment?, helps readers clearly distinguish healthy, loving relationships from toxic ones. Ms. Reeves has put her words into action through Ray of Hope Kenya, an international initiative that provides outreach to victims of abusive relationships there with the goal of helping them rebuild their lives and the tools to avoid abuse. Ms. Reeves operates various business interest through her umbrella network, Nella LLC, and credits her success to her diverse work experience. Whatever your goals, whether striking a balance, reinventing your image, or simply lifting your lifestyle, Pamela Reeves will help you achieve them. Your life, your call. Dial 410-902-5715 or email Pamela at pamreg01 at verizon.net. She's also on the web at pamreeves.com and on Twitter at Pamela underscore Reeves. Welcome back to MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder, and today we are talking to Erica Komisar, who's a psychoanalyst, and she's also an author who wrote in a phenomenal book that I can't tell you how many times, but I'm going to say it again. Go buy the book, buy the book, buy the book, coming out in April. But anyway, we have a caller. Caller, say hi. Hi. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Okay, I've enjoyed listening so far to your discussion about, you know, children and how important it is parents be present, mothers in particular be present for their children in the early years. But, and you've covered some really important topics within this topic. But a question that I had, and I was wondering how you deal with mothers who, it's not so much a child care issue where they're struggling between whether they should work, whether they should be home, but some of their struggle is their ambivalence about being home with their child. For a lot of mothers, I know that there can be a lot of anxiety about being alone with their children. You often hear mothers comment on feeling bored, feeling isolated, feeling anxious. So in terms of mothers becoming more present mothers, what I was wondering, what kind of advice or how would you help a mother who who really does have the ability to stay home financially or has the kind of profession where she can actually spend more time with her child instead of maybe running out and doing errands or disappearing to do other things, but doesn't know quite how to spend more engaging time with their child. So that's a subgroup of mothers that I think have a difficult time often with, you know, especially first-time moms. It's a good question. It's a great question. I'm going to just jump in really quickly and say that one of the questions with my, whenever I meet a new mom for the first time, one of the most important questions that I ask is, do you enjoy playing with your baby, toddler, what have you? I find it to be the most telling and helpful of the initial questions because I think it's very, very helpful for me to understand where they're coming from because that speaks to a lot of anxiety if you're not able to connect and enjoy, there, there's something going on that we really need to come 
understand, um, and Erica can speak more to it, but I think that that woman needs to figure, you know, needs to work through what is her ambivalence. What is holding her back from wanting to spend time Mm -hmm. with her child? Mm -hmm. Why isn't she enjoying it? Erica? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think in society we really um, are not identifying um, certain features of postpartum depression um, early enough on. And some of those features are when a mother goes into her pediatrician or says to her friends that she feels bored with her baby or Mm -hmm. bored with that actually is a very um, common, undiagnosed characteristic of, of postpartum depression. And the best way I can describe it is if your mother, if your own mother was very interested in you and um, loved interacting with you and loved just being with you and playing with you, um, then you feel you feel connected to her, but you also, when you have a baby, are interested in your baby and interested in playing. So many of those mothers were never played with by their mothers, um, and their mothers were, were also bored and disinterested and, um, you know, we say had an urge to flee from their babies um, because the quietness or the subtlety of the interaction brought up a lot of feelings in them, a lot of feelings of loss or a lot of feelings of um, sadness. Um, And so I think, you know, when you hear a mother say she's bored uh, or she can't play with her baby, yeah, what that mother needs at that moment is help. And she's asking for help often doesn't even know know that she's asking for help. Um, so it does bring up the issue of um, really needing pediatricians, social workers, um, people in schools, nurses and hospitals to really identify very early on when, when they hear those cues from mothers um, and, and to get help for those mothers. Now, we don't have wonderful mental health services in this country overall. Uh, it's something we have to work on, and yet there, you, know, you know at that moment that mother needs to seek help to work through those feelings so she can be with her baby. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Well, thank you, caller. Yes, thank you thank very you, much. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. Well, so Erica, if if people remembered only one thing from today, what would you hope it would be? Well, I would hope that they would remember that as mothers, we need to feel proud of and value what we do. Um, We also need a society to recognize the importance of mothering. And, you know, we say put their money where their mouth is, giving women the opportunity to be with their babies at this most vulnerable and critical time. So, you know, you'd say we we as mothers need to recognize our value and demand um, that we are able to spend time with our babies. And then we need to demand that society recognizes our value. Um, I say mothering is the most important and oldest profession. Um, Mm -hmm. It is very difficult work, but it's also the most incredibly joyful and pleasurable work. And, um, you know, we need to be valued. Uh, and, and we also, as mothers, need to listen to our conflicts when we feel conflicted about leaving our babies. And I do hope that this message comes across in the book. We need to listen to our conflicts. We need to listen to our guilt. Um, society tells us to turn away from it. Our babies will be okay. We can go ahead and leave. 
leave. And actually, that isn't what mothers need. They need to turn toward the guilt, listen to the conflicts, and out of that listening can come some real changes for that mother, um, and probably very good changes, because as we see uh, as clinicians, when mothers are separated from their babies prematurely and Mm -hmm. feel conflict guilt over it, it causes those mothers great stress, and it causes the babies great stress. So, you know, if we want to help mothers and babies, we want to keep mothers and babies together as long as we can in those early years. Um, Amen to that. Erica, can you tell our listeners how to find your book and how to find you and also the publicity around the book? Sure. My book is is called Being There, Why Prioritizing Motherhood in the First Three Years Matters. It's it's being published by Penguin. It's coming out on April 11th. It's already in pre-sales on, online. Um, if you go online and, and Google or look up um, Erica Komisar Being There, you will see that there's a number of online sellers that are selling it in advance right now. Um, and you can get advanced copies. And if people, and also I wanted to plug that if you go on my website and on social media, there are um, videos and you can watch Erica and learn more, even more about what her book is about and what Erica is about. Um, And what is your website? The website is www.comisar.com. Excellent. Well, Erica, I cannot thank you enough for joining us today. I think that you're amazing. You know I think that. But also, this book is valuable. It is, it's got to be said and it hasn't been said. And I'm so, so grateful to you for saying it. Um, It's also beautifully written, which makes it quite enjoyable to read. Um, So again, I can't tell I can't sing it loudly enough. Please go and buy it and enjoy reading it as much as I did. I'm sure you all will. Thank you to our listeners for joining us today. Tune in next week and every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on TuneIn Radio and the BBM Global Network or anytime on bbmglobalnetwork.com. Next week, we're going to meet with another pediatrician who's a lactation consultant. She is smart, funny, and she takes a unique approach to nursing. So tune in. This has been an episode of MD for Moms on the BBM Global Network and TuneIn Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Until next time, be well, enjoy life, and thanks for listening. You've been listening to MD for Moms with your host, Dr. Carly Snyder. Please join us each and every week for answers to the many challenging issues moms face today on the next episode of Dr. Carly's MD for Moms. been listening to the BBM Global Network. The ideas, views, and opinions of this broadcast are those of the participants of the program and are not necessarily the ideas, views, and opinions of the BBM Global Network Company.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.